Big day for democracy. The 11th Circuit follows the law and overturns the disgraced Trump appointee Judge Eileen Cannon's horrific order where she ruled that the DOJ wasn't entitled to its own documents. The DOJ will get its documents back and can pursue their investigation into Donald Trump's criminal conduct. Meanwhile, the New York Attorney General Letitia James filed a massive civil lawsuit against Donald Trump, the Trump Organization and his adult children for $250 million. And the lawsuit would also prohibit the Trumps from ever doing business again in new york she also referred them to uh the prosecutors at the department of justice for federal criminal prosecution for tax fraud and to the irs what a press conference she held and what a deranged response by donald trump trump went on the propaganda network known as fox with sean hannity and threatened the department of justice and the fbi director he appointed and he also claimed telepathic powers to declassify everything merely by thinking what was that? about exactly uh, the electoral count act passes in the house of representatives there's another bill working its way through the senate only nine republicans voted for the most basic type of change to promote our democracy demonstrating their further fascistic tendencies and speaking of fascistic tendencies uh these radical republicans should look what's going on in russia where Putin, who they believe is their strong man, is getting his ass kicked by Ukraine. And as he announced a further mobilization order, but was too chicken shit to even claim that he was doing it, he was like, it's my other people doing the mobilization order. Um, uh, people are fleeing Russia in mass to get out of the country who don't want to support the uh, military. We're seeing cars leaving, we're seeing airline tickets totally sold out. As I mentioned at the outset, a good day for democracy. Ben, Brett, and Jordy here on the Midas Touch podcast. Big smile on the brothers' faces today for those listening, but you could probably hear my cheerful energy on the audio and those watching on YouTube. And then we have as a great guest today, Olivia Juliana is on the show. She's the political de- director for Gen Z for Change, a youth-led nonprofit. Juliana has been doing incredible work for democracy. She took on Matt Gates, raised over $2 million Ooh, for abortion care. Excited to have uh, excited to have Olivia on the show. But Brett and Jordy, how are you doing? Doing good. I'm excited to have Olivia on. Honestly, I'm like Olivia is like a, a rock star, like a total, total, total superstar activist who has been sticking it to these Republicans, who's not afraid to confront them head on. I mean, I, I'm just enamored by her work. I think I think she is so great. I'm excited to have her. We need Gen Z voices like this. And it's people like Olivia who just really, really, really inspire me. Jordy, are you Gen Z, Jordy? You're not Gen Z. No, I'm not Gen Z. I'm not Gen Z. We're all millennials, including Ben. We've had this debate before. Yeah, yeah. You're kind of like Gen Z, though, like a little kind of like a Gen Z, Jake. No, absolutely not. No, I'm like three or four and a half years removed. But Ben, you're one thousand percent a millennial. (laughs) Jordy, any stories that you want to tell us at the top of the show before I get into the news? Or you? No no story. No stories today. I'm just ready for this show, man. I'm excited. I'll, I'll try not to interrupt Brett today, but who knows? I might get a little frisky. 
I got the news last <laughs> night. Brett sent it to me. It was the order we've been waiting for. The 11th Circuit moved quickly, swiftly, and with precision, saying Judge Eileen Cannon, it is self-evident to us at the 11th Circuit that the Department of Justice is entitled to have its own top secret classified documents back. The 11th Circuit panel that made this unanimous ruling saying that uh, there should be a motion for partial stay of Judge Eileen Cannon's horrible order was made up of two Trump appointees, one Obama appointee, but they made a per curiam decision. You spell that C-U-R-I-A-M, which just means a unanimous decision written by all three of the judges at the same time. And they ruled Department of Justice can have their documents back. And they said Trump didn't even make the argument. He made no showing, nor do we even understand how he could possibly claim a possessory ownership over the nation's top secret sensitive compartmented information. And there are national security implications here. The Department of Justice should absolutely have their document back. And as they analyzed it, these the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, they were like, just any of these factors would favor the Department of Justice having it back. But for the sake of, of just uh, definiteness. Let us analyze each and every one of these factors. In other words, let us just school you, Judge Eileen Cannon, how horrible your order was. So this was great news. The Department of Justice will get its records back, the, the 100 classified records, which is all they sought. And one of the best parts that's not being talked about is so people are like, well, what's going on with the special master, right? Well, the special master, Judge Deary, the one who Trump appointed, when the or Trump recommended it was appointed by the judge, but it was a Trump re requested um, judge when they had the hearing before Judge Deary, Judge Deary was like, why should I touch these classified records? Like, are you claiming you own them? And Trump's lawyers couldn't even make a good argument. But Judge Deary doesn't even have to worry about the classified records. Now, the thousands of other government documents are what's being reviewed by him as part of the special master process, which, frankly, the Department of Justice doesn't even care about. And now Trump's lawyers have to show up in Judge Deary and explain why he thinks he owns these government documents <laughs> one by one by one, which just gives us like thousands of more times where he could potentially self-incriminate himself regarding those documents. So it's actually so good that the special it's the worst of all worlds for Trump. He's now stuck in front of a special master dealing with documents that the Department of Justice doesn't care about, which Trump is going to lose each and every one of those claims because they are government documents. And he has to, you know, ostensibly pay lawyers, although I say ostensibly because he's diverting yes. money from the Save America organization that he grips from people to pay <laughs> lawyers who happen to be foreign agents of the Maduro regime. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, it's like it's like all their conspiracies, you know, about Venezuela and voting <laughs> machines and stuff. But like they actually do it. Well, like it's all projection. <laughs> we say it all the time. They accuse Democrats of doing everything that they actually do. Dude, Trump's it's lawyer is a foreign agent of the Maduro regime of Venezuela who stole. <laughs> but again, it, it, it's, everything. All, it's all the deflect and distract playbook. Like every layer you peel back, something crazier happens where you don't even have enough time to dissect just how absolutely insane everything is.
I've never just seen stuff backfire on people so tremendously, though. And yeah, okay, you delayed it. What did you end up delaying it by a few days at the end of the day? Like this actually moved pretty expediently, I, I, I felt. Um, I think quicker than most people thought for this specific process. And it seems I've never seen, maybe you have been, I've never seen lawyering like this, where the more the lawyers do, the worse things get for their client. But I guess that's what happens when you have just a, a fool for a client that you're kind of boxed into these horrific arguments that don't make any sense that get smacked down. And that ruling by the 11th circuit was vicious, like, like this, as vicious as you could be in like a formal filing against both judge cannon and Donald Trump, basically being like the subtext was basically like, you guys are idiots. Like this is not even remotely how the law works. I this isn't ben how any it. of this works. <laughs> it could, could have been a Ben. Ben. And I think the <laughs> I fact ben that it was per, it. per curium, is that the term Ben? I'm learning all yeah. these new legal terms uh -huh. these days. It's so great. And let me just say this before we kick it back to Ben to explain even further. I mean, it just, I, I finally have faith in our legal system once again. Like I feel like over the whole Trump presidency, you looked around and just there was insane things happening again, after again, after again, over and over and over. But now it's just like, I feel like we're getting to a place where we could actually trust our legal system to do, to do exactly what they're supposed to do, which is follow the letter of the law. Let's hope. I think we'll have a lot of starts and stops and, you know, people will get frustrated at the delays, but I think things are clearly moving in the right direction and the right direction means the wrong direction for Donald Trump because everything is really closing in on him. I mean, this guy is boxed in. He's cornered. He's completely cornered. Honestly, he screwed every which way, like like everything is coming at the guy. And I think the fact that it was a pure curium uh, ruling, I think is important because it shows that these three justices, despite being appointed by different presidents, two by Trump, one by Obama, despite that fact, they all wanted to speak in one unanimous voice condemning the decision of Judge Cannon and condemning Donald Trump's arguments. And I think that makes a powerful statement to the other courts about what is going on here. You know, the Miranda rights, Brett, you have the right to remain silent, right? It's kind of lawyering 101. In fact, it's so obvious to most people that everyone knows those lines from a TV show. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say or do can and will be held against you, which is why you shut up if you're in a criminal investigation and why you don't do stupid shit like Trump's lawyers are doing, because you dig the hole. And you know what the law of holes is? This is what I used to tell clients when I was more of a litigator. What I would tell them, the law of holes, stop digging. Stop digging the hole deeper. And Donald Trump just totally violates the law of holes. And as you said, has made the situation correct, because even with the slight delay, he's so further incriminated himself by now claiming that with magic wands, he declassified records, even though here's the thing. Classification doesn't matter with the crimes. You can't steal our national secret documents and then even say, OK, they're declassified and steal the records. The Espionage Act, obstruction, the concealment statute don't have classification as a requirement. So all Donald Trump has further demonstrated with his ideas that he can just class declassify anything is how dangerous he's imperiled our country by saying, he declassified everything willy nilly with the magic wand. He was just, just able just to by thinking about it. I mean, we really we really do have to play this clip of, of Trump talking to Hannity. Could, could we play that? Yeah. yeah. So the context of it, because we're going to talk about uh, the Letitia James lawsuit. So after losing the 11th Circuit opinion, after the Tish James lawsuit, Trump decides I'm not going to follow the law of holes. I'm going to keep holes. on digging. I'm going to 
I'm going to go on Sean Hannity and I'm which should be a softball interview, but I'm going to look like a deranged, insane, demented. There's so many, you know, dangerous. But, you know, but he was asked about declassification. And let's just play the clip where there's so many layers to this clip. Um, but the most notable one is that he said he could telepathically declassify records without telling anyone. Brett, play the clip. People say different right. things, but as I understand, that doesn't have to be. If you're the president of the United States, you can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified, even by thinking about it, because you're sending it to Mar-a-Lago or to wherever you're sending it. And there doesn't have to be a process. There can be a process, but there doesn't have to be. Brett, what do you think about that? Well, I think a few things about the clip. First off, I mean, the whole thing's ridiculous. First, he went from, you know, they're my documents to they're declassified. I declassified them before I left the presidency. Oh, actually, I have a magic wand that declassifies them. Oh, actually, I could telepathically uh, declassify them. But, you know, everything in Trump's er everything with Trump happens in his own mind. Trump won the election in his own mind. Trump is the richest man in his own mind, the best looking guy in his own mind. Like everything is a product of this man's mind. Like he's just a, a liar. He lives in a delusional world. And I think it's also interesting also that he kind of mentioned in that statement that he took the documents to Mar-a-Lago, which was something that I think a lot of people are missing. He says it right then and there. You know, if the documents came with me to Mar-a-Lago or wherever, like so or we're, wherever, we're, or wherever, that was the point, too, or wherever. We've said this on the show before. They go on TV and they admit to the crimes. And just because they admit to the crimes on TV, it doesn't abstain them from actually committing the crime that that they did. But I want to say this, Brett, and I know you, you'd appreciate this. I mean, there's not much difference from that Hannity interview and then watching an episode of The Office. I mean, there's big Michael Scott. I declare bankruptcy energy when Trump's saying he could telepathically declassify documents. It, it would be funny if it wasn't so dangerous and serious. Yes, but Michael Scott is endearing and Donald Trump is a lunatic. And, and you could start to see it kind of wearing on his face. And like, I'll even pull up for the viewers, like a, just a screenshot from this interview of the way Donald Trump looks during this interview. He doesn't look good. And, and they've been playing a lot of clips, you know, going back to his comments about classified information from 2016 and 2015 and even comments he made in 2018, 2019. He, Trump looks right now like a different person, like he really does. Like you could see the stress catching up to him. You you could see the result of all these investigations, just just everything eating him alive. And it's very actually it's very eerie to watch. And you just mm -hmm. see this guy descend into madness. Not that he hasn't always been mad, but I think right now he is just especially in a very dark, unhinged, just completely untethered from reality place. You know, and, you know, he brought the documents other places, too. And, you know, you have to. When Donald Trump makes a ridiculous statement like that, that's absurd and dangerous, you have to do kind of break it down because he's also telling you the crimes. Mm -hmm. So when he says Mar-a-Lago or elsewhere, you know, so, you know, he brought the documents to Bedminster, you Such know, he brought point. the documents to Trump Tower, you know, and I, look, Peter Strzok was. I, I love take credit as though some of these are my brilliant uh, ideas. I try to I try to give credit where the idea is out there. And, and and Peter Strzok pointed it out on Twitter. And I read that and I was like, yeah, that's something that needs to be laser focused on as as, as well. And someone like Peter Strzok, who would analyze these things as, as a profession as someone who um, really was able to zero in on it. But talking about all these investigations for three years, the New York AG has been involved in an investigation um, as part of the investigation. They were the New York AG as part of their civil powers for 
real estate developers and people involved in real estate who have consistent patterns of fraud have power to file civil actions to stop these uh, tortfeasors and bad actors from engaging in further fraud and further misconduct. So there's been this investigation going on by Letitia James, New York Attorney General. She's reviewed millions and millions of documents, took over 65 interviews, witness statements and, and depositions, including the deposition of Don Trump, Eric Trump, Weisselberg, uh, Don Jr., Ivanka, you know, and and others. And this culminated ultimately in this bombshell filing yesterday. And the bombshell filing, for those who don't know, was a civil lawsuit against Trump, his adult children, other than uh, what's her name, other than Tiffany. I still think, by the way, our video of Tiffany partying in Miami during COVID. That's an all time great. It was one of my all time favorites in <laughs> SNL. <laughs> SNL did as you know, because I just want to say this about if you haven't seen the hashtag by Tiffany video, we would not do any video of Tiffany until she started going out and right. doing the, you know, MAGA tour and, and gaslighting. And as soon as she did that, we did this by Tiffany video, which was brutal. I think her mom even like was like, these people are so mean to my daughter. I was like, well, you're mean to America by freaking trying to kill people, your daughter. So if you your daughter wants to get into the game and into the arena by trying to kill other Americans. Welcome to the freaking arena. Welcome to Midas Touch. But Welcome I digress. To but <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany wasn't Tiffany wasn't in our Midas Touch video. I, I mean, sorry, Tiffany was in the Midas Touch video, but she wasn't in, in Tish James's lawsuit. Um, but the lawsuit is seeking at least a two hundred and fifty million dollar penalty for the fraudulent conduct engaged in by Trump and the others over the past decade of inflating and devaluing valuing and overvaluing um, their different properties to try to get tax benefits and to get different insurance policies and to um, get investors and to take out debt from banks, just a consistent pattern of fraud and lying. And in addition, one of the remedies would be to shut down and ban Trump and his kids from ever doing business in New York. So it's basically the civil version of like a death penalty for a business, you know, and, and a $250 million penalty would absolutely completely, you know, devastate, you know, whatever remains of the Trump organization right now. I want to make this point, then I'll pass it to you, brother Jordan. There are some people who are like, well, that's growth. Happen. That's growth right there. I just want to acknowledge that you said I'll pass it to you, Brett or Jordy. That's thanks, Ben. <laughs> Thank you. You know, there are lots of people who are like, you know, oh, this may be a, this is a difficult lawsuit. Valuation cases are very difficult. They're hard to prove. Tish James may be over her head in this one, or we we're not sure she's going to be able to win it. You know, Trump went rage tweeted and, you know, made all of these uh, racist dog whistles saying Attorney General Atisha Peekaboo James, a total crime fighting, whatever disaster in New York, you know, that she lacked he called her a racist. Yeah, he called her a racist. And then he like and he quoted, you know, a, a New York Times article that said it was a difficult case um, to prove. It isn't a difficult case to prove. The, and now the legal analysis is actually the simplest case to prove in the world. And let me explain to you why very quickly. Um, Donald Trump, during your deposition, let me ask you this question. Did you undervalue this property for this specific purpose or did you overvalue your property? I plead the fifth. Hey, Donald Trump, let me ask you this next question. Um, you, the, you said the property is worth this amount of money, but you told the tax authorities it was worth this. What's your response? I plead the fifth. Fifth, 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 hundreds of times, Eric Trump, 
who's a leader at the Trump organization, fifth hundreds of times. Alan Weisselberg pled the fifth a hundred times. In a civil case, those are adverse inferences. In other words, the jury can affirm by the pleading of the fifth that their response proves their guilt. So all you have to do in front of a jury, frankly, on summary judgment to the judge is say, here are the questions I asked the leadership. Their response was pleading the fifth. I want you to find the adverse inference against them because they're not even responding to the inquiries. They lose the case. It's over. It's done. Not a hard case. Like, that's it. That's the analysis. Boom. That was a great breakdown. And and look, I just want to give a hat tip also to Michael Cohen. Look, I know a lot of folks feel, you know, they, they, they could have their own opinions on him. Cohen will be the first one to admit that. But, you know, Cohen paid his dues, man. He went to jail. And Tish James, at the end of her press conference, acknowledged that Cohen's testimony actually helped expedite uh, this suit against Trump and his criminal, you know, family organization. So, you know, look, don't just discount people who, you know, once rubbed elbows with Donald Trump as long as they're now in the course to do the right thing and which is preserved, uh, preserved democracy. Yeah, Cohen actually did, you know, did a huge service. And I think, you know, I was happy to see him get the credit that he deserves for launching these investigations in, into Trump. I think, you know, it was a long time coming. And of course, as Ben mentioned earlier in the podcast, Letitia James is making criminal referrals to both the SDNY, which are federal prosecutors under the Department of Justice and the IRS for possible crimes committed here. Alvin Bragg sent out a tweet kind of right after, which I thought was a little weird, where uh, Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, who was in charge of the criminal case, which that's been in flux since uh, Pomerantz and Dunn left saying that Alvin Bragg wasn't going to pursue the criminal case. But Alvin Bragg came out with a tweet after James's conference saying that the criminal investigation is still going on in the Manhattan DA's office. I kind of have to, I got to see action to believe him at this point. At this point, he's kind of lost basically all credibility with me there. Mm. Um, but I'm happy to see James working on this. Um, I don't know what his statement was necessarily about. I don't know if Ben has any thoughts on it. No, but one nuance point I, I do want to make there in a civil case, pleading the fifth is an adverse inference in a criminal case. It can't be an adverse inference. You invoking your constitutional Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. If Alvin Bragg was to pursue the criminal case, you couldn't do what I just said you can do in the civil case. Let's remember to October 24th, Alvin Bragg is putting the Trump organization on trial as well for engaging in a pattern of fraudulent conduct of uh, illegal gifts and other benefits to its top executives. That's what Alan Weisselberg pled guilty to the Trump organizations tried to delay. But there is a criminal trial against the Trump organization where Donald Trump will be called and he's likely going to plead the Maybe fifth and not show. Yeah. But that is taking place October 24th. Let's not forget that from all of the other news in the Trump world. And speaking about all of the other news, if you're liking the news that we're providing here at the Midas Touch Network, which is independent media. Here's what I need you to do. Check out our new Patreon account at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. We have zero outside funding for the Midas Touch Network. So we don't take billionaire funding. We don't take millionaire, zero zip zilch. So we can stay 100% independent. People have tried. Hey, we'd love to invest in you. Absolutely not. We need to keep this independent. So if you want to help out, if you want to be involved in growing the Midas Touch Network, go to patreon.com slash Midas Touch. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Midas Touch. There are different membership tiers with different exclusive benefits. Don't worry though, for everybody watching here, nothing is changing with the YouTube content. Nothing is changing with our podcast content. It's just another way where you can help grow our network on the 
uh, Patreon account with just some other exclusive additional types of content that's out there. People are loving it. It's growing in mass. In addition to Patreon.com, check out store.midastouch.com for some of the best pro-democracy merch out there. We've got the Rovember t-shirts. We got the Row Row. Row your vote. There is no issue more important on the ballot right now than making sure that we support women, we support their reproductive rights from Republican governors and Republicans, politicians who want to take that right and criminalize the most basic and fundamental rights. And we need to support, of course, our democracy. We have Convict 45 shirts um, celebrating the conviction, the soon to be, we're confident conviction of Trump, but he's definitely been convicted in the arena of public opinion for being a freaking horrible, fascist, disgusting, despicable human being. We have Olivia Juliana on the podcast right now. Let's bring in Olivia Juliana. I am so excited to have Olivia on the podcast. We need Gen Z more than ever right now. And to have one of the Gen Z leaders in the pro-democracy movement on this podcast is such an honor. Olivia Juliana, the Director of Political Strategy at Gen Z for Change, a youth-led nonprofit using social media to raise awareness and fundraise for causes. Olivia, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to be here. Olivia, we're excited to have you on here. And, you know, many people may remember, of course, in, in recent memory, um, the way you utterly exposed Representative Matt Gates for the callous, shallow, misogynistic, anti-women, anti-every. Keep going, keep we... going. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we'll get I, I want to get into that uh, event um, where you were actually turn his hate into raising two million dollars more oh for gosh. abortion care. Um, but um, before that, what 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 was the day to day life like for Olivia Juliana? Just let, let us know. T tell us a little bit about yourself before that. happened. Yeah, I think a lot of people have this misconception that I was just like not doing things before the Matt Gates incident occurred but like I've been an activist working in politics for two years now um and this is actually really funny um when I first started TikTok back when I was in high school I was so I was so arrogant like I thought that I was so cool because I had 20,000 <laughs> followers and I remember I emailed one of you I don't remember which one of you it was and I was like I have an idea and I sent the stupidest idea for a political ad it was something about like I don't know I don't even remember what it was I just know it was really stupid but one of you emailed me back and was like this is a like this is wonderful like I'll share it with the team and I know that y'all were just trying to be nice um, <laughs> I gotta I gotta go through the archives and figure this out I wonder which one but I, I I don't know which one of you it was but I thought it was so funny because like I was like as my like level of following grew I was like I really hope that one of them doesn't remember this <laughs> oh, now I'm gonna make it my mission now to go through <laughs> yeah, my emails I can't, and find I this, can't so. wait I we, we gotta put bets on uh which brother it was that's that is fantastic oh what gosh. a great story but that's the thing Olivia right like being an activist is all about rolling up your sleeves 
you know, doing the hard work, whether it's knocking on the doors and just spreading the message each and every day. And that's really what you were doing before Matt Gates decided to single you out. And he did because he was intimidated by you. So maybe even talk a little bit about some of those other things that you were doing in addition to social media that before the Gates incident. Yeah. So I, I've like been very much involved um, in politics and stuff here in Texas since like 2020, because when, when the 2020 election was going on, TikTok was in this like very political phase. It was called like polytalk. And I lived in a very conservative, very rural area of Texas during the election. And uh, I had started TikTok while I was in my senior year of high school, just making all this pro-Democrat content, like living in the area I lived in. And so it like very quickly became the talk of the town that like so-and-so's daughter is uh, doing all this pro-Biden content. And so like I'm at school trying to convince my friends who are turning 18 before the election, like, hey, you need to vote for Biden you need to like organize and go out and do stuff. Cause like, I couldn't really go out and do on the ground stuff because I was immunocompromised and COVID was still going on. Mm-hmm. So Gen Z for change, like really focused on digital organizing. And the first incident outside of like, you know, political phone banking and stuff like that, that we had was um, Texas has this organization called Texas right to life, which put out this like whistleblower tip line where you could report people who had abortions after SBA went to effect. And so I was like, this is ridiculous. And kind of like how we've done in the past, like other tip lines, we call people to like flood it with like fake submissions and people did. And then it ended up getting taken down. And like the right to life lady called me a liar publicly and said like it had nothing to do with any of the submissions, which, okay. Um, But yeah, so just like, just waking up and like on a daily basis, finding like what needs to be talked about today? Like what do people need to hear about? Like what candidates do we need to highlight? So just that just nonstop for the last two years. You know, when you think about it, when you, you talked about the conversation you had where someone was like, here, Olivia is doing all this pro Biden stuff in Texas. You know, it's kind of like, should I be doing the pro let's not have a working power grid stuff? Like, right. I be doing a pro when there is natural disasters. Our politicians should leave and chill in Cancun. Like is, is that the politics that defines is that what it means to be a conservative? Cause that kind of seems pretty incompetent and destructive and government not working at all at all right there. So when people kind of act like that, uh, that's what the conservative beliefs are. It just always like is wild to me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like in part it's true because I think there is like there is a core group of conservatives who don't have basic empathy and like just don't care about people's rights. But I think that there's a misconception because, like, I was born and raised in rural Texas. Like, I'm the only Democrat in my family, like, to this day. Um, and I think that the problem is there's just so much misinformation. And also, like, a lot of people, a lot of conservatives living in these rural areas don't see Democrats. Like, they don't see Democratic candidates. And I think that's what makes um, Beto O'Rourke and Mike Collier here in Texas so unique is both of them, like, 
make a very conscious effort to go out and be in these communities that don't normally see Democrats. And I think that that's part of the reason why with, you know, Trumpism and like these extreme Republicans that we're kind of starting to see more and more like traditional conservatives move away from that into supporting these candidates because like I don't think that that defines Texas. I don't think that people like Greg Abbott define Texas. I think that those are the people in control of the narrative right now. Right. But mm-hmm. like some of the greatest Democratic leaders we've ever had in this country have come from Texas, you know, LBJ and Richards, Barbara Jordan. And I think that there's a lot more conservatives who, if people are just willing to have the conversations with them, would be more willing to like fight for the things that we're fighting for. And not just even controlling the narrative as as what these uh, radical extremist conservative Republican MAGA Republicans tried to do, but also controlling bodies, controlling reproductive rights. You know, Greg Abbott, you mentioned SB8, but uh, uh, in addition to SB8, um, putting forward, which is, you know, law in Texas, you know, complete and total abortion bans, um, criminalizing it, arresting criminalizing and arresting women and and doctors and and making a police function to go after and look at you know period tracking apps and facebook messages and pouring government resources into all of that and you've obviously been very outspoken always about those measures um that republican magas have thrown into texas and across the country and of course very vocal after the dobbs decision overruled Roe v. Wade. And so you you then get this MAGA Republican extremist, Representative Matt Gates, who's being investigated for being involved in a minor sex trafficking ring and and for raping a minor um, who goes to all these kids events. I always see him at youth events um, just showing up and he singles you out, posts a photo at you of you and tries to and tries to shame you. Um, and tries to dox you and get all the people to go after you. And tell us about that event, what went through your mind when that happened. And then I have one more follow-up before passing it to Brett. Yeah. So I think that a lot of people have been very concerned about my like well-being with the Matt Gates fallout, which like I'm very like it's very kind. Um, but honestly, I think I think it was very funny that he he picked me because like I think people think because I'm young and I kind of I'm a little bubbly like I say like and I'm a lot that I'm stupid or naive um but I'm a political strategist who's like very clearly (laughs) I have a history of screwing with these politicians and pissing them off like it's not like Matt Gates wasn't the first one who I had problems with like I've publicly had beef with Glenn Youngkin. I've publicly had beef with Ken Paxton. Like, they don't like me. And so I think Matt Gates thought that, like, I don't know that he was owning the libs. And he was like, oh, look at this, like, this plus size gay woman in Texas. Like, I'm just going to pick on her and she's not going to do anything about it. And, like, clearly a simple Google search of, like, <laughs> my past work, he would probably not have picked me. But I'm glad that he did. Um, because I do what I do, which is call him out for all the stupid stuff that he's done in the past. And the fact that, like you said, literally an alleged sex trafficker 
mm-hmm. is like once again targeting a teenager. Mm-hmm. Like maybe, you know, maybe that was just what he was trying to do is he was trying to get Matt Gates and teenager like headlines <laughs> to be different than what they already were. <laughs> Uh, so maybe maybe we're just not giving him credit like that was the whole strategy all along um but clearly it didn't work because i very much talked about the fact that he is literally under investigation right. for that uh so yeah hope you're enjoying that interview with olivia juliana but i got to tell you quickly about our next partner that has a product that i use literally every day it's called athletic greens i started taking athletic greens because i was trying to put my own regime of vitamins and pills and all of these things to make myself feel better but it was absolutely not working i've been on athletic greens now for over a year it tastes really good and is really good for you so what is this stuff with one One delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you'll be absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens that help you start your day right. Um, One of the things that I love about it is it's lifestyle-friendly, so whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, it's for you. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. And Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine. It was costing him like $100 a day. That's what I was experiencing. And look, tons of people are taking some kind of multivitamin anyway. So just choose one with the high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. And it tastes great. You put the power in a, you put the powder in the cup, you drink it, boom, you're done for the day and you feel great. And it tastes really good. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Midas. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Midas and take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. You know, there's so much going on in the world and I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm often just overwhelmed with anxiety. And when I have anxiety, it's hard for me to like even make the most basic decisions on the planet. But when you learn to kind of, when you learn exactly how to find your solutions and talk it out with people, there's really no better feeling. And that's why I love BetterHelp. You know, I was inspired to try therapy and, and try BetterHelp because of all that. You know, I just, right. I, I basically needed somebody to speak to and just figure out how to like vent and air my problems and see what was going on. And at BetterHelp, that's exactly what I've seen. I, you know, you feel more like yourself, you're less stressed, feel more confident. I'm able to make decisions better, like even small decisions, big decisions. I'm mm-hmm. just able to like actually decide on something, which is nice. So I got to say, if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a absolutely great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. You get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and you can switch therapists at any time. So when you also want to be a better problem solver, therapy could get you there. Here's what you got to do. Visit betterhelp.com slash Midas today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Midas. Go check it out. Well, you, you answered my next question there, uh, and, and maybe the three other ones that that, that I had uh, in that. But 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 you you turned it into um, a a positive experience because I mean at the end of the day, 
It highlighted the hate, the venom of the movement. It highlighted their anti-LGBTQ, anti-women, anti, you know, their whole stance of being just completely hateful and deranged that they would go and do that. And then you turned it into raising over $2 million for causes that you've fought for your entire life. And so you said, okay, you know, $2 million, $2 million to help these causes. Let's go. All good. And, you know, what do you say to what do you say to just others out there who are pro-democracy, who are leaving, you know, are those people just leaving the Republican Party because it's just gotten become all MAGA extremists who are just nervous and scared and may not have that Olivia Juliana confidence? Like, what, what do you tell them to to get that confidence? You know, people ask me a lot, like, where the confidence comes from. And honestly, I just think it's like the people that we're fighting back against, like, just, like, flat out, they just don't deserve respect. Like, I I don't respect sex traffickers and homophobes. uh, And I don't respect people who don't respect our democracy. And so, like, I think that, it like the confidence it's like I, I i don't have tips like this is this is just who i am like i've always <laughs> been this way um but i think like objectively if you look at stuff from the point of view of like i think all of us at some point in our life have faced things a lot more difficult than like a politician saying something like homophobic like the insults that they're hurling are insults that i heard like in middle school and like high school like it it like is this all you got and so i think that like people just need to be aware of the fact that like there's more of us than there are of them like there's more people who are going to support you and rally alongside you for what you believe in than there are that are going to be attacking us like when like was it 80 million people voted for joe biden in 2020 and like i know that like a lot of people voted for trump too but it's like there are more people who are good people and who care about decency and respect and kindness mm-hmm. than who are just bigots. And I think that that's like mm-hmm. the really common core message people just need to remember. I think it really says it all that you compared the Republican members of Congress to middle school uh, kids. Very insulting apt because they are. Yeah, like, they are. It, yeah, it couldn't be more spot on. And it's really scary, scary to hear the state of our uh, current politics. That being said, I want to dig into a little bit like these Events that the right wing does have, though, it feels like there's constantly like a battle right now for Gen Z and and kind of the way I see it out there. And I'm so inspired by the work that Gen Z is doing, but I see these really dark forces trying to recruit them. And we make these jokes about like Matt Gates being at these youth events. And we always see these like big Charlie Kirk events with the pyrotechnics and stuff. I mean, what do you make of all that? And how should Democrats be competing with that sort of, uh, you know, just whatever the hell that is that they're doing over there? I think. Like I, I've never, I've never gone to any of these conservative events for young people, but like I see what's coming out of them frequently. And I think where Democrats can like cap, like capitalize is that they lack substance a lot, like at these events, it's like, they're very, they're just propaganda events. Like that's all they are. Um, And I don't see young Republicans organizing in terms of like voter outreach and like door knocking and block walking like 
I don't see that as much as I see from the Democratic side. And I think that, like, on the other hand of it, too, when you think of, like, the young people who are prominent within the Democratic Party, it's people who are, like, raising money for abortion funds. It's Uh people who are advocating for immigration reform. When you think of, like, young people in the Republican Party, I can't name anyone besides Charlie Kirk. Like you're propping up like a singular person to be the face of this movement and you're propping them up with millions of dollars. Mm. Whereas we're doing grassroots work with actual people and actual communities. Um, And I think that like people just need to support young organizations that are fighting for progress and change because like, like Charlie Kirk is not doing this because Charlie Kirk cares about Republican morals. Charlie (laughs) Kirk is doing this because Turning Point USA has been given millions of dollars by Republican politicians and funders. Like, that's just the honest truth. It's is so that facts. true? Facts. They're funding them. Like, so I like, and I think that young conservatives know this. Like, I know a lot of young conservatives and I'll ask them, like, who do you watch? Who do you look up to? Mm-hmm. And they'll show me videos like of Charlie Kirk talking at conferences or of like Trump rallies. And I'm like, this is it? Like, this is what? you guys are enamored <laughs> with and i think that like just basic conversations like they make no sense like why are you listening to these people sometimes we'll like pull them out of it because like charlie kirk is an idiot and he doesn't know what he's talking about like same with all like trump like they're all stupid and it's mm-hmm. not hard to debunk all of their claims in like the span of five minutes stupid so. but with a hubris and overconfidence that they just think they are the most intelligent people on the planet. Speaking of that, though, you going around, you working for Gen Z for change, doing voter outreach. What are you seeing as far as the momentum of Gen Z right now? I mean, I'm sure you get told all the time. I'm sure it pisses you off when people say young people don't vote. Young people don't participate in politics. What do you say to them? What's the energy like on the ground? I mean, like realistically, like if you say young people don't vote, okay, look at the voting demographics from 2016 to 2020. There's an 11 point increase of people mm-hmm. between the ages of 18 and 24 who voted in 2020. And now like what makes me the most hopeful is here in Texas, we've seen, I think the number was, uh, I think I cut off a few weeks ago, but since Dobbs was decided upon, we've seen over 300,000 new voter registrations in the state of Texas. Wow. And of that, 37% are people under the age of 25. So like, like Gen Z people, at least in the state of Texas, are like extremely mad and like very, very motivated to vote. Like I see, you know, I live here in Houston. Um, The University of Houston is here. And like, I know a lot of the students there Uh, and like the student body president and like they are organizing like not just like voter registration but like polling place access and like doing all these things to keep people ready to vote because like I think we kind of grew up at least like me like I was a freshman in high school when you know Parkland happened and I kind of watched the fallout from that and I watched people like David Hogg kind of come to prominence and so we've been watching young activists since we were young be very passionate and on the front lines of these fights for these issues and I think it's kind of all come to this culmination point with Roe falling is like we know what to do because we've been watching other young activists do it since we were like 14. And we Mm, saw that in 2020. 
so I think that like young people are just really ready to like I think they're ready to vote and they're already organizing so like I'm very hopeful (laughs) that's amazing and Olivia you've made so many fascinating points throughout this entire interview I want to go back to something you actually said uh candidly in the beginning of the interview where you mentioned that you grew up in a Republican household or you have Republican family members. Now, we don't need to go into specific details about which family members and all that. But I'm just curious, you know, have you had any sort of success, you know, sort of breaking into their own echo chamber and and really showing them that, you know, the Democratic Party is, is the party for the people? Yeah, I have I have one family member who is like, I just hates politics, like hates Republicans, hate Democrats. Um, And it's taken me a very long time. But they told me a few weeks ago that they actually registered to vote and they're planning on voting for Beto, which is a big, like a big transition. Yeah. So, I mean, it definitely happens. And I also have family members who like, who also live in conservative households who will like privately reach out to me and be like, like, I really support what you're doing. And I want you to know, like, I'm voting blue too. Um, so I've definitely seen like people in my family, like really do, they have been persuaded by me doing the work that I do. That's fantastic. And was there a specific, uh, issue why that family member in particular wanted to then vote for Beto? Uvalde. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think, once I think living in Texas, like it can only happen so many times where you right. see these tragedies and you see them respond the same way. Like, I think the statistic is out of the 10 deadliest mass shootings to ever happen in the United States history, five of them have happened in Texas. Three of them have happened while Greg Abbott's been governor. Jeez. So like people are really starting to see the pattern and like we all experienced the winter freeze like we Mm -hmm. all dealt with that and that was directly because of Abbott Uh, and I think that even Republicans in the state are just really really sick and tired of having to deal with the fallout of his failures absolutely I mean we say it all the time on the podcast it's like we don't elect leaders because problems aren't going to arise inevitably we we elect leaders because when problems arise we want them to be able to handle the situation with grace and help as many citizens as possible whether Democrat or Republican um, hey, I heard a big announcement came through today. I saw it. I read it on Twitter. I don't know how much I can personally say, so I'm just going to kick it off to you to talk about, uh, I think, a tour is on, on, on its way. Yes. So Gents for Ooh. Change is going on tour and we're starting with Florida and Texas where we're going to be documenting this in like a longer form kind of episodic mini series on our YouTube channel um, where we're going to be going to rallies and doing on the ground organizing with Democratic candidates in these states and also doing some sit down interviews with them as well. So I think the biggest one we have as of right now is like we're literally going and speaking in a rally with Charlie Crist. And we're also um, interviewing Rochelle Garza, who's running for attorney general against Ken Paxton and Mike Collier, who's running against Dan Patrick. So we're we're like taking the fight like to these politicians. Like it's not just going to be like online and stuff like I'm going to I fly to Austin tomorrow and like my stop list is like in front of the governor's mansion. Like that's one of the first places I'm going. So like we're, we're taking it to them instead of just being online. That's awesome. That is so incredible. (laughs) Just thank you for all the work that you're doing. And and where can folks learn more about Gen Z for change? Where can they learn uh, learn more about you specifically and uh, all the great stuff that you're doing? You can learn more at genzyforchange.org or Gen Z for change on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and my socials are Olivia Juliana everywhere. 
Olivia Juliana, so great to have you on the pod. We appreciate you. We really everything you're doing is so great. Um, You give so much inspiration to Democrats, independents, the pro-democracy movement in general. Uh, Keep it up. And uh, we're definitely going to look for that message uh, that you sent us. And we'll uh, we'll give you a breaking (laughs) news, breaking news. I found the message. No, <laughs> I found no! it. I found it. I found oh it. You can't God. give you can't give saw, Brett a challenge like that. I OK, mean, Brett- so but I so I just found it before we're going. So oh now 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 I have to read it. But li- listen, Olivia, I think we actually made the ad that you pitched. Honestly, no, right? I, I, I need to preference this. Like, I think I was 17. I just turned 17 when I sent this. I had no organizing experience whatsoever. Do I have permission to read it? Go ahead. It's great for the show. It's great for the show. Go ahead. It's gonna. It's, it's great pot. It's a good idea. It's good. So this is on July thirtieth, twenty twenty. So let me just put it in perspective. July thirtieth, twenty twenty was like two months after we even started Midas Touch. So this right. is like this is very early on. Hi, my name is Olivia. I'm a 17-year-old political analyst. My TikTok is at Olivia Juliana. I'm a big fan of your work, and I even reposted one on my page to my 20,000 followers. I have an idea for an ad that I believe could be effective. Christians vote for Trump in droves because they feel he will uphold Christian values. If you make an advertisement showing that Trump is not holding upholding Christian values, but rather taking God's name in vain, I feel many Christians might feel convicted and possibly change their vote. Just the thought keep doing the great work. And Olivia, we made, we made that. We It's called Trump's deadly sins. Everybody should look it up on our YouTube. And we made an ad that went through each of the commandments one by one and showed how Donald Trump was not ho- upholding those beliefs. So we actually did end up making your ad, Olivia. <laughs> Olivia, you are a rock star. Was, yeah. That was one of oh my, my favorite God. ads. To, that was one of my favorite ads too. Please keep oh pitching gosh. us ideas. Yeah, pitch ideas. <laughs> yeah, keep sending keep them. Yeah, we well, it. well, the difference is this time you got to pay for them. So. <laughs> okay, I'll just say how well crafted that email was too for for someone who was seventeen at the time. I mean, I don't even think I knew how to write emails at seventeen years old, let alone. <laughs> and wait, pitch wait, ideas here, like here's that. here's the quiz. Which brother responded? Any any I guesses? Don't. Jordy, I mean, if who's it's on your the social media account? It's got to be you, Brett. It is yeah, me. I'm, I'm gonna guess Brett. <laughs> It is me. Yes, All right, Brett, you're the greatest, but really, Olivia, you're the greatest. Thank you so much for coming on the Midas Touch podcast. We appreciate you. Thank you. That was great. That Rock was so star. great. And I remember her sending you that message, and we did the ad of Trump's deadly sins. And we went through each one of them and demonstrated how he is. It's one of my favorite ads. <laughs> yeah. Really, really, you know, it was really, really good. And that's one of the things, too, like just the way he's manipulated you know religion and the way they've kind of perverted mm-hmm. you know it to suit their needs and you know and it's just, everything they do is a fraud and exploitive in MAGA Republican world um and one of the things too did you see this Brett I, I don't want to miss this which is that the um in a Democrats in the House and the Senate are putting forward a bill to uh, update the Electoral Count Act. The Electoral Count Act is pretty clear, um, but it was used and exploited that any member of Congress can object and their objection can literally hold up the counting of electors. They utilize that as one of the ways uh, to try to delay Vice President Pence from certification of the actual electoral votes. And what their ultimate plan was, was then to use Vice President Pence to pick a fake slate of electors and to bring those in and not count the real ones based on their objections and trying to hold up the process. And so Democrats introduced uh, an updated 
uh, an update to the Electoral Count Act to amend it and to change it and to modernize it and to make sure that the vice president doesn't have the ability to overturn elections, making it clear it's a ministerial task, which it was, but just to further clarify that and to increase the thresholds and the standards for objecting to the counting of electoral votes. Now, only nine Republicans, Liz Cheney was one of the people who introduced it, but only nine Republicans voted to amend the Electoral Count Act to improve its language. Yeah. And so and just to clarify, it was introduced by representatives Lofgren and Cheney. Um, and yeah, it's, it's Democrat like the, and Republican, Democrat and Republican. And two hundred and three Republicans voted against it. Only nine voted in favor. Every single Democrat voted for it. And it's like the most basic bill on the planet. I mean, it, it's it's the most basic things that you could ask for. The bill clarifies the role of the vice president just to state unequivocally in no uncertain terms that his or her position is ministerial in nature. All they are doing is reading the ballots. That seems like something that we should all agree on at this point. The House bill also raises the threshold in Congress to consider an objection to a state's electoral vote. So if you remember the current way it is, it's like you just need to find one person from each chamber. You need to find one person in the House and then you need like a sponsor in the Senate in order to raise objections about these electoral votes. So you'd see them try to get like Ted Cruz or Holly or somebody to uh, in the Senate to come by and, and object so that they could air these objections during the counting process. So this says, no, 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 no. You can't have just one person. Instead, we need at least one third of the entire House and at least one third of the entire Senate to sign up for a challenge as opposed to just one member. Uh, there's a, the Senate bill, which is going on like a parallel track. The Senate has a lower threshold. It's one fifth of each chamber compared to one third. Still better than we have today. The Senate Rules Committee is going to mark up the bill. I believe it's set for September 27th. So we'll see what happens there. The bill will still, of course, have to then pass both chambers, both the Senate and the House, whenever that new bill is agreed upon. And who knows what the heck is going to happen in the Senate? You know, this is something that there had at least 10 Republicans in support of back in July. Um, right. Now that it's actually going to come to the floor for a vote eventually, we'll see if they actually stand by what they were saying back then. Uh, I don't get my hopes up about anything until I actually see that the votes are there. Um, but you see so, so to be clear, <laughs> you know, it hasn't passed yet. Um, it's passed the House. Um, it's got to then pass the Senate and then they have to do a reconciliation of the bills and then make sure it passes again before it could be signed. Um, the timing of that likely isn't going to happen uh, before November 8th. Um, and the vote will likely take place after where you'll still, regardless of the outcome of the midterm elections, have the same composition of each. But as Brett says, you never know with these MAGA Republicans until at the end of the day you see the vote and do they have the 10 votes that is to be uh determined and just speaking oh I, I should i should mention what was trump's response to that exactly what you would expect it to be um trump said the house just passed a bill which prohibits the vice president from doing what all the quote great democrat and rhino legal scholars said he couldn't do under any circumstances regarding sending election results back to state legislatures if the vp couldn't do it then why are they passing legislation saying he can't do it because he could have done it and should have based on the large scale blah 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 blah, blah. again seeking to overthrow our democracy saying that he believes that the vice president should have overthrown the results of a free and fair election. Who else overthrows free and fair elections? Who else is anti-democratic? Who else do these people look up to? Vladimir Putin. 
Mm-hmm. And Vladimir Putin ain't having a great time in Russia right now. Vladimir Putin, even when Vladimir Putin is weak and being defeated by Ukraine and Ukraine is clearly, 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 clearly the demonstration of a courageous nation that pushes back against the oppressive, disgusting and despicable authoritarian regime. And what do the MAGA Republicans do? They act like the propaganda networks that are in Russia, like they're almost more. They're more, more Putin. They're like they go out there, like even even the Russian propaganda networks are now like this is a bad idea. And you've got MAGA Republicans going to Putin's defense here. Right. And what's going on in, in, in Russia? Putin issued a further mobilization order to try to enlist more men into fighting Ukraine in their losing war against Ukraine. And what's the response? People are fleeing Russia like people like get us out of this country. The flights are sold out. There's videos of all of these cars trying to leave. Traffic is backed up. They are trying to get the one way tickets out of, out of there. One way ticket. They are trying to get out of this country run by a loser madman. But that's it, Ben, a, a loser madman. And that's actually quite concerning when you kind of look at the history of it all. When when someone's up against the ropes like a Vladimir Putin and and he doesn't have anywhere else to go or anything else to do because he's losing so, so badly. And he's just so humiliated. In fact, I think that's when they're the most dangerous because who knows what's going to happen as, you know, these Russian citizens are fleeing the country now because they're understanding that they're being fed propaganda by the Russian media and Vladimir Putin. They know these citizens who are leaving know that they don't want to fight in this in this war against Ukraine, this senseless war against these people who are really just pro-democracy citizens at the end of the day who have been fed lies that these Ukrainians are Nazis and and they're starting to wake up. And that's terrifying Vladimir Putin in such a way where I think, you know, he's most dangerous right now. Yeah. And he's also the weakest, though, right now. I mean, he is basically is mortally wounded by everything that is going on. He's been exposed as a complete paper tiger. Uh, This Russian military, which even, uh, you know, our own Republican politicians were hailing as the pinnacle of strength has proven to be just all smoke and mirrors. And now it's really coming home to roost for the Russian people when Vladimir Putin is basically saying, we're going to draft you into this war. Like we're going to take you and put you in this war. And then they're like all of a sudden, oh, well, I I don't want to be any part of that. Right. And Putin is now threatening nuclear retaliation. I mean, people are, I think, are just sick of it. And you're starting to see the cracks, which is I've never seen at least happen in Putin's Russia, these these cracks forming. And as Ben mentioned before, you know, it's almost like our right wing propaganda networks are even outdoing now Russia's propaganda networks, which are having debates about the war, which I've never seen and are saying that maybe this invasion isn't such a good thing. Maybe we have to acknowledge that Ukrainians are their own people and we shouldn't try to push our own culture and our own thing on them. And I think that's why you're seeing these flights out of Russia, why you're seeing the long lines. They're going to the countries where they don't need a visa to get into. They're going to Armenia and Belarus and Georgia and Serbia and Kazakhstan and Mongolia, because they know they could actually get in there. Um, and this whole partial mobilization thing that Putin's planning, it's not even something that could really go into effect for like months and months and months, because it requires, you know, just a bunch of training and gearing everybody up. Like, it's not something that could just be initiated like that. So meanwhile, Putin's just suffering all these losses across Ukraine. He's 
done this way too late while Ukraine has already launched their uh, counteroffensive, which has been incredibly successful. And that's why experts are all saying that this is just a desperate kind of unhinged move, honestly, a very Trumpian move, honestly, just desperate and weak. And it's unlikely to bear any fruit in terms of the war effort. It's just exposing Putin for who he is. So as we discussed at the outset of this episode, a great day for democracy, a great time for democracy. And we need to keep pushing pro-democracy messaging together. It's more important now than ever. It's so great to have Olivia Juliana on the show, someone who has pushed pro-democracy messaging for Gen Z and throughout the entire country. It's so great to see Gen Z Democrats out there. As she said, she made a great point. Republicans, these MAGA Republicans, they've done these kind of propaganda events, but they're not out there organizing. Democrats, Gen Z are out there actually organizing. Um, And we got to keep organizing together. Let's keep fighting together. I want to give a special thanks to our sponsors, Athletic Greens and BetterHelp. Please check them out and use those promo codes that we told you about in the ads, because that goes a long way to help out Midas Touched if we keep sponsors on. Also, check out our Patreon account, patreon.com slash Midas Touch, if you want to become a member of the Patreon account. And then finally, check out store.midastouch.com for some of the best pro-democracy gear out there. So great spending this time with you on this episode of the Midas Touch podcast. Jordy, take it away. Shout out to the Midas Mighty! At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy and we demand justice and accountability. That's why we're spreading our message to Convict 45. That's right, gear up right now with your Convict 45 tees and pins at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com.